Welcome to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast network. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. We are recording this episode a little bit early in advance of the holidays, so if any of the numbers are wrong, it's purely because of the timing, definitely not because we got anything wrong, because, of course, I am with someone who is always perfect when it comes to everything, but particularly numbers and business and stock-related things. So here with Albert Gim. Albert, how are you doing this fine afternoon? Uh, I'm doing well. I was a little concerned. I thought you were making a race joke because I'm Asian, but here we go. Really excited. <laughs> wow. Okay. Really? Your Josh Donaldson bro is going to make a racist joke on podcast? Is that how we're doing this? You're going to do this to me, Albert? Hey, speaking of Josh Donaldson, let's go Yankees, huh? I, I was just saying right before we were going to start recording, I said to Nick, hey, man, we cannot go a whole pod without discussing the return of our king aaron judge with his new buddy carlos rodon it's it's a great day in yankee nation i feel great i am really happy to be here to talk to you and um this was like the best start to a pod ever is what i need to say <laughs> wow you, you call me out for being racist in the first 40 seconds and then straight to yankee talk how could it get better than that <laughs> That's um, what you call a smooth transition, Nick, is what we're doing here. Yeah, there we go. I will say it's been interesting to be, you know, within approximately 80 miles of Oracle Park with the other big Carlos related New York baseball news. Going mm -hmm. That's been that's been hilarious to watch. Uh, I guess <laughs> my, I guess financial crimes guy uh, Steve Cohen is really, really living it up on the other side of the New York baseball <laughs> landscape, you know? Nick, I sent a bunch of photos to my Met fan buddies. I sent uh, Movan, Moises Alou, Kaz Matsui, sent a bunch of guys that the Met, oh, Jason Bay. How could I forget Jason Bay? Um, sent a bunch of guys to say, to send a message to our fellow New York fans out there who maybe aren't Yankee fans, but are Met fans, that you guys can spend all the money that you want. But I want to remind you that the Mets are always going to be the Mets. Boom. Roasted. Well, I mean, we've got another, what, 13 years of Bobby Benilla Day? Bobby <laughs> Benilla Day, excuse me. Pretty close. Got to be 13, 15. Who cares? They're going to be paying for him forever. Another another decade plus. But hey, maybe once 2035 hits, they can do the same thing. You know, stretch Carlos Correa's contract out. There it is. With, with Lindor and all of them. Good. Love it. Boom. Boom. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Okay, this is, in theory, a basketball podcast, so let's actually circle <laughs> back to what we were supposed to talk about today. This is the problem when you get two clowns like us on this I know. podcast actually attempting to talk about things. But you wrote a wonderful article about someone who has been one of the hottest prospects of the past few weeks. And I got to admit, someone who I was not expecting to see this from. So your most recent article over at NoCeilingsNBA.com was about Jalen Clark of the UCLA Bruins. And as you, I know, are well aware, I am a huge Jaime Jaquez guy and have been basically since his freshman year. So I've watched a lot of UCLA basketball over the last four years. Obviously, not as much as you have, and especially not as much in person as you have. But Jalen Clark seemed like someone who, okay, you know, really solid defensive piece, helpful guy off the bench, might get himself a career overseas just 
based on the defense. And then this year has been an entirely different story for Jalen Clark. So why don't we just start right there at the top? Because, you know, this was something that you brought up very early on in the piece that you were not expecting to see what you have seen from Jalen Clark so far this year. And you had a chance to see him in person and you've, you know, seen him previously in addition to having seen him in person. So what are your thoughts on the real breakout season that we've seen from Jalen Clark this year? My thoughts are um, he's really good at basketball, which is an important part of this evaluation. Um, I know I'm, I wanted to come in guns blazing and give you the absolute best analysis I could. Okay. Nick, to be serious though, right? We're, we're serious basketball analysts. Here we go. I'm just kidding. Um, So, I, I've been to a couple games already as a credential journalist, you know, you know, just a little something yeah, there. Um, but I, I've been to a couple of games and I'll, and I'll tell you the truth, especially the first game that I went to, my full intention was to scout Jaime Hawkins Jr. and Amari Bailey and Adembona. Like that's where my eyes were. That's where my focus was, especially in shoot arounds, warmups. Those guys were getting the brunt of, um, the memory on my phone. Those were the guys that I was recording and I was really excited to see. Once the game started, my eyes went elsewhere. And Jalen Clark, I'm telling you, if you go to watch UCLA Live, he jumps off, not the screen, but he jumps off the floor and you really see him a lot. It's a weird thing. Like he's kind of everywhere. And we'll talk, obviously, we'll get into more detail about his game, but he's a guy that is constantly influencing the game. And obviously it starts on the defensive side of the ball, but his defense is so impactful um, that he even shines on the offensive side because of what he's doing on defense, which is something that I touched on my piece as well. But as a kind of like intro there, I I did want to say that, I went to these games trying to scout the other guys and always walked away impressed by Jalen Clark. So that has to mean something. I mean, when you were watching Gonzaga games last year, I distinctly remember that, you know, you were going to watch Chet Holmgren and instead you came away from those games and you're like, wow, this Julian Strother guy can really play basketball, you know? No, hundred percent agree, man. That's and, 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 you know, that that also we weren't expecting either. And also, like, Rashir Bolton was another guy, too, that Rucker pointed out pretty early last year and we were really impressed by. But that's, I think, Nick, that's the weird, funny, cool thing about scouting, like, high school and college basketball players is that we never really know where these kids are in terms of their development. And at any moment in time, depending on where we cross paths with these players, we may end up finding something that we absolutely weren't prepared to find at all. And so, yeah, you mentioned a guy like Strother last year. He was ridiculously impressive to see in in person. And I feel exactly the same about Jalen Clark. He's been a lot of fun to watch every single time I go to see UCLA play. So before we get into the nitty gritty of his game, let's cover the comparison that you made. And I've said on this podcast before when Steven wanted an opportunity to throw some Eli Manning slander out. First of all, for the sake of New York, I will say I did shut him down. But the point being there that I have admitted before on this podcast that I've not closely followed American football in quite a long time. But I was following American football when Ed Reed was Ed Reed. And I thought that was just an incredibly telling comparison to make with Jalen Clark because 
you know, with Ed Reed, you're talking about someone who had, you know, basically all the physical gifts that you could ask for out of a safety, but his real strength was that he was more prepared than everybody else. And he read the floor or not the floor. Cause we're talking about football, but you know, read the field better than everybody else. And that's a really fascinating comparison for me to try and take in with Jalen Clark, because, you know, again, it's like, if you have someone who has that kind of a game wrecking ability on the defensive end, you know, there's sort of similar feed throughs from football to basketball in this sense. And, you know, you mentioned this with how his defense sort of feeds into his offense and we'll get into that in more detail later, but I thought the Ed Reed comparison was really instructive. It doesn't, you know, obviously mean that, Oh, Jalen Clark is going to be an all time basketball player. You know, one of the 20 best basketball players ever, but you know, the point of the comparison is this is someone who is exceptionally prepared every time they step out there. And this is someone who has gotten themselves so familiar with the offense that they're facing that they know where they need to be at any given time. And not only that, but they know where the offense is going to go next, right? The thing, you know, you brought up Ed Reed talking about Peyton Manning in a press conference, basically saying like, I knew what he was going to do, right? With Jalen Clark, you know, sometimes you watch him jump a passing lane and you go, wow, incredible anticipation. That was ridiculous. And then, you know, you keep seeing him do it and you keep seeing him do it and you keep seeing him do it. And there's almost a sense of he knows something that nobody else seems to know. And I don't know how you stop that, honestly. <laughs> No, I 100% agree. I think the point that I was trying to make that you made just perfectly for me just now is that he he really does know. And not only and because he knows so well and is anticipating all these things and knows where the ball handler is going to go with the ball and all that, it, 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 his influence is unbelievable on the floor. Um, you feel him constantly. And especially as a defender, it's where, wherever he is on the floor, you kind of want to avoid having the ball in that area whether it's whether it's you dribbling the ball or holding the ball or passing the ball you want to be careful on whatever side that Jalen Clark is on because as you mentioned Nick he is an absolute student of the game now I have not talked to him one-on-one -on -one, haven't asked him what type of preparation he does before games but it's clear that it's 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 not just instinctual what he's doing on the defensive side there's clearly homework that's being done and that's getting matched with his instincts with his talent with his god-given ability in terms of like his length and speed and whatever it is so when you kind of combine all that together you find a very influential player and like you mentioned nick I'm never going to claim that Jalen Clark is going to become a Hall of Fame basketball player. That that's not my claim. If he does, that'd be amazing, right? But that's not the point that I'm right. But that's not the point that I'm trying to make. The point that I'm trying to make is that Ed Reed was extremely influential as a football player. Quarterbacks were concerned or worried. They were very hesitant to throw the ball over the middle of the field because they were worried that either Ed Reed was going to light up one of their best receivers or he was going to gra grab a pick and run it back for a, a pick six, which he was excellent at. So that's kind of the point that I was trying to make that you made as well is that he knows everything. It seems like he knows everything and he's extremely influential on the court. And we'll get into the Jalen Clark specific nitty gritty stuff in a moment, but you know, something that I have to mention as the Jaime Hawkes guy, but, you know, also something that I think is worth mentioning here is it's really interesting to see them work together because, you know, as you noted, maybe the area for improve, improvement with Clark's defense, if there is one, is his off-ball stuff. Whereas with Hawkes, you know, he's, I think he's exceptional off-ball and, you know, maybe there are some guys who can beat him when he's guarding on-ball, but, you know, when you combine the two of them together, I think, you know, 
this is something that I think is more clear looking at tape from last year with Clark than this year, because this year he's really blossomed. But last year, I mean, there were opportunities that he could afford to take because he had someone sitting back there who he trusted to slide over, right? And that's, you know, I think a huge part of it is that, you know, yes, he's exceptional at jumping passing lanes, but you also have to feel that you have the freedom to jump those passing lanes because you know that, you know, if you miss, it's not going to be a wide open layup because you've got someone behind you covering. So, you know, a little Jaime Hawkins propaganda sprinkled in, but I do think that's, you know, something worth something worth noting when we're talking about the team defense stuff with Clark. No, I, I 100% agree. I, I think, Nick, to kind of follow up on what you're saying, I think the overall like team ethos that they have at UCLA right now is they're really selfless. Um, whether it's Jaime Jaquez or even Amari Bailey as a freshman coming in, highly touted, I'm sure he wants to prove himself, right? Amari Bailey, Tiger Campbell, Adembana, the, the, the list goes on and on. They have these guys who are willing to share the limelight. Um, on both ends of the floor. None of them seem to have an ego. They're willing to support their teammates. Jaime Hawkins, I think, in the last year plus, has shown way more juice on the ball, which is which was one of the critiques that evaluators have had for Jaime Hawkins. And part of that is that we're seeing him grow as a creator with the ball in his hands. And it helps when you have a guy like Jalen Clark, who's perfectly timing his cuts every single time and getting open and causing the defense to, to think about another wrinkle. You know, and so whether it's Jaime Hawkins, Tiger Campbell, whoever, these guys are playing a very selfless brand of basketball. That's surprising. Every every single time I go to see them live in Westwood, I always walk away thinking like, man, like a guy like Tiger Campbell, upperclassman, been there a long time. He probably wants to show off what he can do with the ball. He's been very selfless. Jaime Hawkins, he's he's pretty much being marquee or you know presented to the world as the star of this team and he's been very selfless mari bailey whoever so i i think overall the way that they've been playing the brand of basketball that they've been playing at ucla has been pretty selfless and i think jalen clark's been a big recipient of that but also a part of that as well yeah no i totally agree i mean i think when you have guys like hawkes and tiger campbell who are leading the charge who are willing to you know take that sort of step back and say no you know i'm gonna make the right play rather than the best play for me you know that's the kind of cultural thing that filters down i mean we talk you know all the time in nba about you know team culture and those sorts of things and i think when we're talking about college basketball you know people often overemphasize the coach's role in those sorts of things and underemphasize the role of the upperclassmen on the team because like if you walk into practice every day and you see that jaime Hawkins is passing up wide open looks for better looks for his teammates and you see that tiger campbell is working his ass off on the defensive end even though it's just a practice you know it's like those kinds of things carry over and it's something that you know we talk about all the time when we talk about nba cultures you know I, of course, hear it constantly as a Sacramento Kings fan. You, I know, hear it constantly as a New York Knicks fan, right? But it's so much more emphasized of, you know, the players create the culture, whereas in college, there's just the assumption that it's always the coach. And, you know, when you see teams like this UCLA team, it's like, no, actually, there's a whole lot of this that's just the, you know, younger players come in and they follow the example of the upperclassmen. Bingo. No, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And it's it's been really impressive to, to watch. And... um when you think about their long-term outlook in terms of how they'll, you know, produce and perform uh, in the tournament, I think it's a good thing. I think it, the way that they're playing is a good thing. And the way that these older guys are leading is great. Um, I, I think like I have more of like a technical issue with them or more of like a roster issue with them because I think their backup bigs are just straight out, flat out bad. Um, but the way that they're playing, are, it, it's really great. It, it's awesome. So I agree with everything you said. 
So we're 16 minutes of tangents in, and we still haven't actually focused on Jalen Clark's defense. So let's, you know, get back on track here. So through his first 12 games, Jalen Clark is averaging 2.7 steals per game. And that's the kind of number that you, you know, you look at it and then you have to double check it. Cause it's like, wait, what? Two, like almost three steals a game for this guy, you know? And the funny thing is, you know, you look at his stats from last year and a whole lot of stuff is different. But, you know, the thing that I think is most interesting to me is like, that was his real strength last year was, you know, getting out in transition, jumping, passing lanes, getting steals. But, you know, the interesting thing from my perspective is his steal percentage has gone up dramatically, right? It's not just that, okay, he's starting now, he's getting more minutes, therefore his steal numbers are going up. He's, he's you know, getting these steals at a higher rate too in those increased minutes. And, you know, when you talk about a 5% steal rate especially since statistically speaking steals are one of the stats that is the easiest to directly translate from college slash non-nba professional play to the nba you look at that and you say okay this is a guy who is going to be a nuisance defensively at the next level and that's even before you look at the film right it's just like wow this guy creates a ton of turnovers and it's been surprising to me that like that was his biggest strength last year and the biggest reason I think he's having a breakout at this point is because he's gotten so much better in so many other areas, but he's improved at his strength, which is, you know, very important when you're talking about developmental avenues for these prospects, but it's not something you see as often as someone figures out how to shoot from deep or, okay, this guy's got a post game now that he didn't have last year, right? Getting this much better at something he was already elite at is exceptionally impressive. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and it is pretty amazing to watch and how he's doing it right and i i agree with you it's it is interesting right like it's easy to just be like hey he's getting more play time so it's naturally going to happen but i don't think it's that simple and i think it goes back to what we initially talked about with him right the type of homework that he's doing the type of work that he's putting in and also the biggest thing that i noticed nick when i'm when i've been going to the games to watch them live mick cronin really trusts him now, watching Mick Cronin as a coach is an experience in itself. Um, he really likes to get into his players. And I, I get it. You know, there are different coaches, different styles of coaching. But the one thing that I noticed is whenever he speaks to Jalen Clark, yeah, I mean, there are some intense moments, right? And he's got to yell sometimes, got to correct his players. But overall, you can tell with the way that he interacts with him and the amount of time that he leaves him on the court for, there is this big sense of trust i i remember in their game against long beach state um i believe he didn't come out of the game in the first half until there was like six minutes left in the half like he was in there for a long time and the amount of trust that cronin has in him is great but also i, I think clark has earned that trust by working hard and growing and improving with everything that you, you're talking about the steals are unbelievable and in that game he had a bunch of them too but overall just to see him progress the way that he has has been pretty shocking and i think early on in the season some people might have thought oh you know it's just a flash in the pan he's doing this against crappier teams maybe or lesser known teams maybe crappy is a little harsh but whatever um you know he they, it, people wanted to see it over a larger larger sample size and now we're what 12 games into the season which isn't a huge sample size either either but it's more and he's still producing at a high level. So I think he deserves a lot of the credit that he's getting right now. I mean, unless UCLA basically makes it to the final game of the tournament, that's more than a third of the season already. 
and you know not only has he not shown any signs of slowing down but he's you know he's gotten better over the last yeah. few games i mean his last few games have really been you know the particular breakout for him it's not like this hasn't been what he's been doing all season but you know his last four games he has what 12 steals something something crazy which yeah yeah that's that's quite a few that's quite a few Mm-hmm. it's been incredible and you know as you mentioned a third of the way through the season it's been good stuff but I really do hope actually no not even hope I expect him to keep it up I really do think the way that he's playing all this is sustainable because of what we talked about before right the the way that they're playing the style of play that they are they're, that they're playing in right now and also his effort which is something I actually haven't mentioned yet um like he's everywhere and he knows everything, but if you don't put in the work and if you're not working hard on the floor, that only means so much, but he works really hard on the floor. So I did want to give him that credit as well. Also, just quickly for the record, I somehow undersold him. He has 15 steals in the last four games. Wow. That's good. That's a good number. Yeah, that's, that's pretty solid. It's, you know, just getting back to, you know, what you're talking about in the piece. It's interesting because you, you say this in the piece, basically, it's one thing to look at his on-ball defense and, you know, he's got great lateral mobility, really solid length, but it's so easy to just keep coming back to how incredible he is at generating turnovers. I mean, dude, if you watch some of the the clips that I posted, it's it's not even like he's getting the ball on his first attempt every single time at a steal. There are a couple of possessions where he'll go for a steal, miss, recover to his man try again get like some sort of deflection but they get it back and he has to recover to his man again and he'll get the steal like the the stuff that he's doing right now is pretty unbelievable and and it's not just like once again like nick i really do want to emphasize it's not just that he's like squaring up a steal and then like executing it every single time perfectly but it's sometimes it's the second and third effort stuff that he's doing is unbelievable and i and i think is leading to what we're seeing right now because i don't think a lot of players are going to make that second and third effort the way that he has been consistently all season long and that's i think why his steal numbers and steal percentages are so ridiculous right now I, I couldn't agree more. That was the first thing that came to mind when I thought of this is there are a lot of great first effort defenders who, you know, the ball swings to their guy. They wall him off for five seconds. Guy passes the ball away and they just say, okay, done. My guy passed the ball away, defensive possession over. And then the guy back cuts them. And all of a sudden, you know, the great work they did for five seconds is completely negated by, you know, not putting in the second effort. And you know, second effort is something that we talk about, I think, a lot more with rebounding than with just general defense. But, you know, that's something that's huge for Clark. And it's really interesting that you mention it that way, because, you know, a lot of the times when defenders with high steals numbers are bad defenders, the vast majority of the reason why is, okay, you know, this guy, uh, uh, Wessel Restbrook has, uh, you know, two steals per game, but That's good. You know, he gets those two steals per game by jumping out of position and allowing like five easy baskets per game that wouldn't have, you know, been allowed if he'd actually just been solid on defense the whole possession. So, you know, that's really my main thing with, you know, taking it with a grain of salt when I see really high steal numbers. But with Clark, it's somehow the best of both in that, you know, he's really, you know, he's gambling for those steals. He's making the effort, but 
he also manages to recover, manages to stay in the play, even if he does miss that first attempt. And, you know, that's a big difference between him and, you know, the kind of players that you think of, of, oh, he's just gambling for steals. And, you know, I think we talk about gambling for blocks a bit more than gambling for steals as a general rule, but it's a similar principle, right? If you jump for the block and you get yourself out of position, the guy gets an easy bucket, you know, like uh, say Wasan Heightside, right? If you get, you know, three and a half blocks per game, but you're leaving seven open shots, mm-hmm. it's not a helpful thing to your defense. Right, right. No, dude, I, yeah, you said it perfectly. The guy is, I, and I wrote it in my piece too, right? He, of course, he's going to gamble a little bit. It's kind of part of the, part of the deal, right? Like if you're going to get steals like that, you have to gamble once in a while. And uh, in in my opinion, they're calculated gambles, right? Like he understands the situation and he's, you know, taking a shot sometimes because there is the, you know, probability, not probability, but there is a potential of him, you know, cashing out and getting a huge dunk on the opposite end. But the thing is, like you mentioned on those possessions where he does gamble a little bit and he does miss, there is that desire to get back and fight back into that possession right it's not just hey i'm gonna gamble for this and give up and just say hey the rest of the defense you guys kind of have to pick up for me he doesn't have that i mean there very rarely are those plays ever happening with him which once again he deserves a lot of credit for right not a lot of people are willing to do that so i agree with everything that you said man and it's special that's the type of stuff that you know makes him a, a guy that people like me want to write about you know like it's that type of stuff really pops and i'm sure like us noticing that like who am i right i'm nobody but i'm noticing that then i'm sure nba scouts and nba front offices they're gonna watch turn on that same tape and you're gonna be like damn like this kid really cares and he's really putting in that extra effort and he's coming back and he's smart and he's really instinctive like all these things are gonna come together and i think he's gonna end up in a really good spot once the season's over So we'll talk about his offense in a little bit because that's, I think, the biggest difference between him this year versus him, you know, the last couple seasons. But I do want to close on his defense by just referring back to the Ed Reed comparison that you made. And I'm just going to read a couple of sentences from your piece off the top here because I thought this described it about as perfectly, certainly more perfectly than I could off the cuff. So about Jalen Clark, before I wrap up his defense, I wanted to highlight that Clark is not just a talented defender, but an intelligent and hungry one. The man does not quit. When you watch some of the highlights I posted, you can see the desire and how he's willing to give that extra 5% of effort that not all guys are willing to give. Ed Reed was the same way. And, you know, that's, I think, really all of it, you know, bundled up into four neat little sentences, right? It's like, it's not just that he clearly puts in the you know, effort in the film room to, you know, understand what the offense is going to do. It's not just that, you know, he has the athletic gifts to be able to, you know, come good on all those things. It's that he's trying that 5% harder than everybody else. And, you know, it comes through in a lot of areas in his game, but it especially comes through, and this is, you know, thus the Ed Reed comparison, but it especially comes through on the defensive end where it's like so many times, you know, when you're talking about NBA players, like this is, you know, the 0.00001% of ridiculously athletic tall people in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even if, you know, you can watch on screen and say, wow, Brian Scalabrini is a lot less athletic than De'Aaron Fox. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, but, you know, the difference there can be made up by effort so many more times than you think it can. Like, 
these, you know, even the least athletic guy in the NBA, and, you know, there are these videos about Brian Scalabrini just absolutely owning Division One players that go around every once in a while. Like, the difference between NBA players and even, you know, the best non-NBA basketball players in the world is gigantic. And so a lot of the time, you know, the difference between elite NBA athlete and average NBA athlete is something that if the elite athlete doesn't really try on the defensive end and the average guy digs in every single possession, the average guy's probably going to be a better defender, even though he has much worse tools. And with Clark, you're talking about someone who has the tools, but also has that effort, also has that extra 5%, also has that hungriness. And that makes a huge difference, you know, anywhere on the court, but especially on the defensive end. A hundred percent. Wow. I almost called you Corey, dear God. Um, Wow. I, see how it is. Okay. I know. I know some habits, whatever. Um, you but, me racist. <laughs> how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, Nick, <laughs> Nicholas, uh, Nick. Okay. Um, now I, I, the, the point that I wanted to make was I actually totally forgot the point I was going to make because you threw me off and I hate you forever. No, no, no. Okay. I remember. Okay. Uh, what's new? So with Jalen Clark, first off, I love that you read my piece with your beautiful voice. That was, I feel, I feel very honored is the word that I'm looking for here, but ultimately with Jalen Clark, man, like I, not a lot of young people is weird. Like, am I a boomer saying this, but not a lot of young players of that age are willing to compete that hard on defense. Like, I feel like, especially now in our day and age, in the modern NBA, wow, I sound so washed and old, but <laughs> players care more about offense. It's like a normal thing and a, and a very real thing. Like offense is more fun and more flashy and gets more of the House of Highlights videos on Instagram, right? But the thing with Jalen Clark that I love and appreciate so much is that he is so down to play defense and to play it at a really high level. And for me, I, it goes back to that point. Nick, the selflessness, like I, I really do believe like playing hard on defense and playing team defense, right, is such a selfless thing. It's something that you have to do together collectively and for your teammates, right? Like being a good help side defender, right, or weak side defender, like that, dude, that's you picking up your teammate and being there for them and having them having their back. So with Jalen Clark, obviously, once again, like I've never talked to the guy, but he feels like just watching him on tape and in person, he feels like a very selfless player, a guy who's not looking for the limelight, a guy who's not looking for all the adoration and the praise and the highlights on on Instagram. He seems like a guy who wants to win and who wants to win well and wants to win with and for his teammates. And I think that in itself is an unbelievable quality. So now that you've given us that excellent wrap-up of a boomer speech, let's move on to the other side of the ball with Jalen Clark. And, you know, it's funny because I mentioned right at the top that, you know, the thing with Jalen Clark that's surprised me the most is, you know, how much he's grown from this year versus last year. But the one thing that's stayed kind of the same is he's always been a ridiculous finisher inside the arc. Like his two-point percentage, you know, just reading off. So... First year at UCLA, 56% from two-point range. Last year, 55.6% from two-point range. This year, 66% from two-point range. Now, that's a number that, on the one hand, I look at and it's like, there's no way he stays at 66% for the year. The flip side is, like, I didn't think there was any way Alondis Williams would stay at 60% from two-point range last year. And 
with both Alondis and with Jalen Clark, these guys have histories of being exceptional finishers inside the arc. And so that's something where, you know, even though it's taken a leap from last season to this season, that's the kind of thing where it's like, no, he's actually just pr pretty much always been good at finishing around the basket. So I fully expect that to continue, even though maybe some other parts of his offensive game are like helped out by a hot streak. I would be surprised if he's not well above 50% from inside the arc by the end of the season. Yeah. <laughs> yes is uh what i want to say no no i i agree man like truly it's special like well special very good very good maybe i throw around special too often the rim from a guard is it's pretty good. close yeah it is you know what let's let's call it for it you're right special it's special why am i voice cracking i don't know but the thing that i really enjoy about jalen clark is he's got great touch Really, really good touch around the rim. He's got this little floater that he likes to throw up in the lane. Really good. Um, as I wrote in my piece, like a, as a six-five guard, sometimes he'll get matched up or he'll get he'll be guarded by a smaller guard. Really good about taking them down to the block. You know, give him a couple dribbles. He'll spin. Um, depending on what block he's on, he's either going to spin baseline or spin middle and just finish over that left shoulder. Really effective. Oh, not every single time, but it's a highly effective shot for him against a smaller guard. And that's important, right? Because that adds another wrinkle to his offense. Um, we're we're going to eventually get into his shooting. But for now, like in terms of the, the two-point shots and around the rim stuff, yeah, he's not really taking any mid-range shots per se, but his floaters are good. And he is a recipient of good passing because he's a good cutter and he gets a lot of easy buckets at and around the rim. And also, obviously, in transition, he's an absolute menace. Like, he flies in the open court and he's consistently finishing strong at the rim. So when you combine all that together, yeah, he's going to have a high percentage um, at the rim. And, I, and a lot of that is to his credit. So the cutting is important and something that I talk about all the time. I just love watching guys who are good cutters on the offensive end. It just, it shows such an awareness of, you know, the spacing on the offensive end that it makes it easier for me to project, you know, basically, basically anything positive about them that, you know, okay, he knows where he's supposed to be. He knows how to read the floor. You know, he's showing this by how good he is at taking advantage of those opportunities when he, you know, gets a lane to the basket. So that's something that, you know, is a really good indicator of how well he reads the floor on the offensive end. But you mentioned the transition stuff. I mean, he's in the 97th percentile in transition. It's like, That's good. It's, yeah, sorry. He was in the 97th percentile last year. He's only in the 90th percentile this year. So oh. you know, clear, clear drop off, clear drop mm -hmm. off. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's, I think, where it's easiest to see his steals on the offensive end is just, you know, gets a steal, right? Starts the break. But, you know, when you combine that with his cutting, that's the kind of thing where it just makes it so easy to say, okay, let's say, and we'll get into his shooting in a bit, as you mentioned, but let's say the shooting doesn't quite translate. Let's say that he's closer to the kind of three-point shooter he was his first two years than he's been this year where he's just a shade under 40% right now. Given how well he cuts, given how exceptionally he is in transition, and given that the main driver of his value is going to be his play on the defensive end, I mean, even if the shot doesn't really come around, if you're throwing this guy out there to be a defense-first player, you know, as long as he's good enough in cutting in in transition to not be a zero when he's out there, right? As long as he's someone where defenses have to at least look at him when he's on that end of the floor, you know, he's earning playing time on the basis of his defense. He just needs the complementary offensive skills to be good enough. And, you know, again, this is before talking about the 
thought of, hey, maybe he actually can be a three-point shooter. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is, given that I'm shakier on that translating than I am on, you know, his incredible finishing around the basket, his cutting, his transition skills, right? It's like, if the shot doesn't translate, okay, that'd be too bad. But if it doesn't, I still believe in enough of the rest of his game that he'll figure it out. And really a lot of that is just because he's such a good complimentary offensive player that that'll allow him, you know, as long as his complimentary offense is good enough, he will more than earn his playing time on defense. Yeah, no, I agree. I think something that you were alluding to um, with his off ball stuff is he's got great feel. He's got absolute great feel. Like he can feel and sense and just be, he's so alert and aware of what, the defense is doing and what he, he, they as an offense are doing. And he's just so smart and he knows when to cut and how to cut. And he's in the right spots always like all that is really valuable stuff, especially as you mentioned, as a complimentary player is really important stuff. Like if he's going to be lazy and just sit in a, sit in a corner, then yeah, like he's not going to offer a lot because as a shooter, I am maybe this is where we transition into shooting. Like I do feel like there's a lot, a lot of work yet to be done. Um, one of the, biggest tells i think for what you know how good a of a shooter somebody is is a free throw shooting right and thank he's you. currently uh-huh sorry no i said thank you oh. <laughs> getting getting someone else to take up the partial free throw truth or mantle on here right. it's, it's fantastic yeah and Go he's ahead. like keep going, keep going he's currently at like what 65 which is um not the best percentage, right? It's not the best number. But I, I do like the fact that his three-point attempts are up and he, he is shooting 38.5% from three. And something that I noticed from watching him both live and on tape is that um, when he misses, there is this l- little turn in his hips that is interesting, right? And then when he's making them, that that turn isn't as pronounced or is straight up just not there. And I think there is something to that. I, I did ask our shot, Dr. Corey Tulliba, and he's got, he said he'll look into it and let me know. But overall that plus like his stroke being a little mechanical, he does look a little mechanical, almost like he's thinking out or thinking through like different steps as he's shooting a ball is something that I did notice, but you know, overall, like, just because a player isn't shooting the lights out right now in college doesn't mean he's I, I look, I really do believe that there is a world where Jalen Clark ends up being like a 34 to 36% three point shooter. And with what he offers on the floor as a defender plus off ball type of guy, 34 to 36 is plenty good enough for me. And if once we, you know, and, and if he's shooting at that percentage, Nick, then he's only going to have more opportunities to drive off of hard closeouts and to finish at the rim and to maybe even flash a little bit more passing, although he's not much of a passer right now, who knows, right? So overall, I do believe the shot can improve and I'm glad that it's already improved this season, but I wouldn't go so far as to say, like, I think he'll ever be an elite dead eye shooter. But once again, considering all that he has, if he gets to 34 to 36%, I think that's plenty good for him. Yeah, I totally agree. He just needs to be someone who defenses look at him when he's beyond the three-point line, right? You know, it doesn't need to be, okay, you know, this guy is a 3-and-D elite sniper. It's like, you know, that's that's not the strength of his game, you know, especially given how good he is inside the arc. Really, all he needs to do is, you know, when he catches the ball on the wing 25-ish feet from the basket, he needs to at least make the defender glance his way, right? It's not the kind of thing where, okay, this is going to be the driving force of his game. And, you know, going back to the free throw shooting, you know, he's at 67% right now, but he's also more than doubled his free throw attempts per game since last year. 
And, you know, I think part of that is just an indicator of, okay, you know, he's starting now. He's got a bigger role on the UCLA squad. He's going to have more opportunities to to finish around the basket. But, you know, especially given how crazy good he is for a guard at scoring inside the arc, you know, if he gets to the free throw line more, that's a huge boost to his game. And, you know, even if he's still in the, like, you know, high 60s free throw percentage-wise, like, again, like, low to mid thirties, three point percentage, you know, somewhere in the 65 to 75 range from the free throw line, that's more than good enough. And if we get more than that, great. And, you know, if he corrects the hip issue and all of a sudden his percentages jump up even better, but you know, when we're talking about someone who went from 26% last year from deep to, you know, 39.3% this year or something like that. And, you know, he's taken, 37 three-pointers in his first two years in college and he's already taken 28 so far this season you know that's not something that he was even trying to do before no i 100 percent agree and that's something that Corey and i we talk about a lot on our pod as well right it's sometimes the the stats or the numbers and the percentages in college aren't as important as is the guy even willing to put the shot up at all right like we you can have guys who are shooting 27 26 percent but if the shot looks good and they're getting shots up that's better to me than a guy who's shooting 48 percent and not get shooting like less than one attempt per game like that doesn't really impress me you know and the fact that jalen clark as you mentioned is getting more shots up this year and the percentage is going up that's a very positive sign and so um ultimately with with clark I just hope he continues to put them up. I hope he puts in the work in the offseason as he's as he goes through the whole pre-draft, you know, stuff. I really do hope he he continues to focus on that. Whatever open gym he's in, I hope he's putting up a thousand shots every single day, you know, wherever he's at. And I think there is a potential for him to do it because like we talked about before, he's got the work ethic. He shows it on defense. He'll he'll definitely be able to show that on the offense too with his jump shot as well. It's funny because the most disappointing part of Jaime Hawkins' season for me is that he stopped putting up those three-pointers, which, you know, it's funny how that kind of thing works. But, I mean, you know, we're talking about guys who are going to be playing two different positions. The expectations are going to be very different. With Clark, though, just to sort of close out, now the one thing that he doesn't really do as much as you would like for a 6'5 guard to do is, you know, and you've mentioned both of these things before, but not much of a passer and it's it's up and down when he tries to create for himself off the dribble but you know in terms of the positives you mentioned this earlier and i think it's super important you know with clark probably the goal for him is to be like you know highest highest outcome for him is like be a starter on a team and be the number one defensive piece right so if you're going to have him guard one through three and basically just guard the best guy one through three that's where i think his post-up game really you know comes into play because if you're sticking him on a trey young right you know he's going to be able to take trey young to the hole basically every time and that's the kind of thing that's also i think a key area to look at in terms of his passing development because you know there's the one element of this you know posting up for guards which is okay i've got someone who is much smaller than me i can just push him around you know, but the other thing is to be able to create for others out of those post-up opportunities. And with Clark, I mean, it's not a selfishness thing, as we've been over time and time again with him and this UCLA team as a whole. I think that would really help. The flip side is I don't think he's really going to get that many post-up opportunities in the NBA other than just let's, you know, put whoever this is in the hole. 
But, you know, again, especially given that defense is going to be the calling card and the focus point for him, just his ability to do that tiny thing of if you put like a five foot 11 guy on me, I'm going to take him to take him to the take him to the block, right? Take him to school. That is really all that he needs to do out of his post up game. And, you know, unlike with the passing and creation off the dribble where it's like, I hope he can work this into his game with the post up stuff. It's like he has what he needs. And I fully believe that as long as the coaches give him rain to that when he has those opportunities to take advantage of the guys down low, he will do so. No, I, I definitely agree, man. I feel like what he'll be asked to do uh, in the NBA will be even less than what he's being asked to do right now in college. You know, right now in college, like it, you said it perfectly, man. Like when the ball's in his hands, UCLA isn't really looking for him to create much. And it's just not his forte. I mean, he's not running pick and roll. There are a couple of times where I saw him with the ball in his hands, but most of that is leading to a shot for himself, right? Whether he's going to drive to the lane or, I don't know, take a three or whatever. But it, it's there's not a lot of creation there. But as you mentioned, Nick, it's not because he's selfish. It's more of a product of the system that he's in and what the coaching staff is asking him to do. So I'm 100% behind you with that. I just think, but I do want to say, like, I, his handle's not bad either. It's not like he can't dribble or doesn't have a handle. Um, it's just, I don't think he'll ever be asked to be that number one, number two, or even a number three option in a, in an offense. I think he'll always be a number four, number five, which is what you, we now call like a play finisher, right? Is much more of what I think he'll be asked to do. I think he'll be a play finisher, complimentary type of player and he'll move the ball, but he won't be a guy that'll ever average five assists per game is how I feel. That's, I think a perfect way of putting it. He'll move the ball. You know, it's not someone where, uh, again, you know, a certain Wasan height side, the ball gets to his hands, you know, it's either going up or going to the other team, right? He'll he'll make the right pass. You know, he'll keep the ball moving. He'll make the pass to the pass to the assist. But, you know, if you're expecting him to, you know, throw a one-handed cross-court laser off the dribble, it's probably not going to happen. Flip side is, you know, that's not, that's not necessarily something you want or need him to do really in any circumstance. And, so before we wrap up, I do just want to sort of quickly bounce off something that you said, which is in terms of ceiling for Jalen Clark, you know, you said you don't see him being, you know, first, second or third option. I think there's a world where if his shooting developments are real and if he gets a little bit more comfortable with the ball in his hands, I can see a world where he's like a third option on an offense, you know, where he's mostly just being asked to take up the defensive slack, but is someone who, you know, I mean, he's at 16 points a game right now, right? I could see, you know, if his shot gets a little mm -hmm. bit better, that there's a world where he's, you know, 18 to 20 point per game scorer, three assist guy, keeps the ball moving, does a lot of damage on defense, but... You know, all of that, I think, really would depend on his shot becoming something that's not just, you know, real as like a, you have to pay attention to him, but mm -hmm. real as like, okay, this guy's dangerous. And I think that's a very, very high end outcome, like, you know, 95th, 99th percentile outcome. But mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't think it's entirely out of the question, especially given that, you know, I would never have expected him to be the second leading scorer on this UCLA team. Right. And yet somehow here we are. That's 100 percent fair. Um, that's fair. I think just where I'm at right now. Now, Nick, when you asked me to be on your pod, I, I didn't want to come empty handed. 
I wanted to come bearing gifts. And so something that I, I did, I wasn't playing that I actually didn't even do in my piece was I did have an NBA comp for um, Jalen Clark. And of course you guys know me, I love my nineties comps. I like, you know, talking about the older players, whatever. So my comp for Jalen Clark podcast for the <laughs> washed agenda. I just would like to put that out there. <laughs> So kids, uh, I don't know if you okay. The deal with these prospects these days. <laughs> Nobody wants to play defense anymore. Oh God, I love when you switch it up and use that voice on me. Um, <laughs> but okay, the guy that I thought of was Kendall Gill. Now, Kendall Gill is an interesting one, just because Kendall Gill wasn't as bad offensively as I'm making Jalen Clark sound. Kendall Gill was a guy who averaged 20 points per game on the Hornets. He did it once on the Nets, too. But I was thinking more of like Kendall Gill later on in his career, where he really was a complimentary piece, a guy who was playing off of, you know, um, Keith Van Horn and Kerry Kittles and these guys. Like, I, I, I really enjoyed Kendall Gill as a defender. Like, I was looking up his stats, there was a time when he averaged like 2.7 steals per game, which is pretty damn impressive. Amazing, you know? And and I feel like that's the type of role ultimately that Jalen Clark will play in the NBA. A guy who you're going to rely on always to be a great, really strong defender for you, but also offensively is going to be a play finisher and once in a while may give you a 20-point game, you know, just from hitting his threes and attacking the rim and picking up more fouls. As you mentioned, Nick, like I think that's something he's got to work on, right? Picking and drawing more fouls. So there is a world, I'm with you, there is a world where he becomes like a third option type, but for me, just wanting to like temper my expectation for him, I see him more as like a number four, number five, um, because I do think he has real limitations offensively, but if he ends up having a career like Kendall Gill, that's a pretty damn good career, you know, and and, and who was a guy who was a really good complimentary player who also had a couple seasons where he averaged 20 a game. I really don't believe Jalen Clark will ever average 20 points a game, but who knows, man? I, I'm sure a lot of people were unsure, but Kawhi Leonard, and I'm not comparing him to Kawhi Leonard, right? Because people make that mistake all the time, but I'm sure a lot of people didn't expect that from Kawhi when he came into the league, you know? So um, who knows? I don't know for sure, but my guess is I think he'll have, it'll be more of a defensive guy than ever have like a big offensive season is what I think. And to be clear, I agree with you. I'm just more thinking about like, okay, you know, what's the absolute pie in the sky outcome for Jalen Clark? And when I think about that, it's like, even then, I don't think he's a primary or a secondary guy, but I could see a world on the right team in the right situation with the right developmental path for Clark, where he becomes a third option. You know, that being said, I think the vast majority of the NBA outcomes for Jalen Clark are defense first piece, fourth or fifth option on offense, you know, with whatever team he's on, but you can't ignore him entirely. You know, it's not a Tony Allen situation. It's you, he can do enough on offense that you at least have to give him a look. And, you know, that's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, yeah, probably not going to be a 20 point per game scorer, but you know, if the high end outcome for him is 18 points a game, really good three point shooting and absolutely elite defense. I mean, you know, you mentioned at the end that he's someone who should be in first round consideration. I mean, if he turns out to be that kind of player, like that's a lottery level talent. And, you know, Kendall Gill was the fifth overall pick in his draft. And I just assumed that, you know, the big reason for the Kendall Gill comparison was that he was a super steals merchant as well. Yeah. You know, that's, that's clearly a huge part of the game for Jalen Clark. But, you know, 
it's interesting in that that's not all he is. You know, there's a lot more to his game. And if he grows in certain specific areas in certain specific ways, then maybe he ends up being more than like a defense first, fifth option. But I think that's the most likely outcome. Yeah. No, I agree with it all, man. I'm, I'm excited to see how he finishes the season too. Like, who knows? Like, the uptick that we've seen from him offensively, maybe it takes another jump by the end of the season. Who? I mean, we really don't know. So, um, at this point in the season, I agree with everything that you said. I'm excited to see more. All right. Anything else you want to cover before we wrap things up here? Mm, well, you know, really quickly, I, I did want to say as you were talking before, I was thinking, I compared. We were thinking about maybe talking about Julian Phillips, but in my previous piece, I talked about Julian Phillips and I actually compared him to like a Trevor Ariza. And then when I think about Jalen Clark, I'm like, yeah, maybe Jalen Clark can be that type of guy too, right? Eventually becomes 35, 36% three-point shooter and has a nice career like Trevor Ariza playing for a bunch of different teams and always being a really reliable defender was what I thought of too. So yeah, I think that's fair for him as well. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. I mean, with me for Trevor Ariza, I think part of it, you know, there's the obvious that he's a forward and Jalen Clark is a guard, whereas Phillips is someone who can be, he has a bit more size, can be more of a forward type. But, you know, I think the other thing is that with Trevor Ariza, it was like the first thing I thought of was three-point shooting. The second thing I thought of was defense. You know, that's, you know, it's defense and then like two-point scoring and then maybe three-point shooting for Clark, you know? So that sort of thing is like, I think that's an interesting sort of higher end outcome where like if he's a if he's as good a three point shooter as Trevor Ariza was, then he's a starter, right? Like if not, then probably, you know, ends up being more of like a seventh man type who you throw in for defensive matchups. But, you know, in terms of high end stuff, I mean, a lot of the high end outcomes for Jalen Clark are reliant on his three point shooting being real. And, you know, if it isn't real, then I think there are, you know, different comps to be made there. But if it is real, then then I think the Trevor Ariza comparison makes makes a lot of sense. You know, again, it's guarding different positions, but mm. similar sort of idea in that you're mostly out there for defense and but the, in the their one, case shooting. Mm-hmm, but the one point I'll make, Nick, though, is that I remember Trevor Ariza in his rookie season with the Knicks. He was terrible as a shooter, like absolutely terrible. So um, he also had to develop into a really good shooter. And so who knows? It could happen with Jalen Clark, but you know the, the the point that you make about the size difference is a hundred percent valid. I, I just wanted to throw in the fact that Ariza also really had to work on that jumper because it was rough when he was a Nick. All right. So, anything you want to plug before we wrap this thing up? Um, this podcast will be released the day before the theoretical next episode of the Draft Act. But mm-hmm. anything else you want to plug while we're while we're here? No, I mean, of course, myself at Alberto Gim on Twitter is where you can find me. I absolutely love jumping on with Nick whenever I can. And it's been such a pleasure and honor and such a fun time just being here with you, bud. Um, Obviously, we have our Yankee ties and we, Mm. you know, text, you know, on the side here and there about our glorious Yankees who just, you know, figure out ways to not win and not tap into that championship DNA anymore. I don't know what's going on going on. And. Uh, we still have work to do, right? As an as a team, I, I we always bring it back to baseball somehow. But um, just wanted to say it's been a lot of fun for me being back again. And whenever you call, I'll be ready. Well, I appreciate it. I always have fun talking with you, especially when we're throwing Josh Donaldson jokes back and forth. <laughs> we kept it. Hey, we kept it PG today, but we we've thrown some good ones this week. 
We have. I will. I will just say for the reference of anybody who is not aware of this, seventy-four layers of inside jokes going on here. Josh Donaldson is one of my least favorite Yankees of all time, <laughs> <laughs> but he's great. He's great for tossing jokes around, and that's basically his only value to me as a Yankee. But I gotta say, when when you and I are when you and I are tossing Josh Donaldson jokes back and forth, it almost feels like I don't hate him as much. So thank you for that. <laughs> no, Nick. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. He is Albert Gim. You can find him on Twitter, as he mentioned, at Albert O. Gim. And you can, of course, find his work on the No Ceilings NBA website. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can find my written work on the No Ceilings NBA website as well. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. And please subscribe to the feed if you haven't already. We're going on almost at month three. I guess by the time you listen to this, it will be month three of all of the No Ceilings podcasts in one feed, getting No Ceilings NBA podcasts and content five days a week. So again, if you've been enjoying the new feed, please do take the time to leave a rating and or a review if you have not already. If you have any feedback about the deep dive specific portion of the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Oh,